Thank you, Lord Songs Play Pla. By me gonna long people of friends play me, by me gonna Bible reading, blame me law today. So me asking Brother Melvin in up top Baridim Long Romans chapter sixteen, verse twenty-one, equal twenty-seven. Uh, good morning, church. So our scripture reading for this morning is taken from Romans chapter 16, verses 21 through to 27. So if you'll open your Bibles to Romans chapter 16, verse 21 to 27. All right, so Romans chapter 16, verses 21 to 27. Verse 21, Timotheus, my work fellow, and Lucius and Jason, and Saucy Peter, my kinsmen, salute you. I, Tartus, who wrote this apostle, salute you in the Lord. Gaius, my mine host, and of the whole church, salute you. Arrestus. The Chamberlain of the city salute you, and Cortes, a brother. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Be with you all. Amen. Now to him there is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preachings of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of his mysteries, which has kept secret since the world began, but now is made manifest and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the everlasting God, made known to all nations for the obedience of faith. To God only wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. Hope you have your Bibles this morning. We'll be in Romans chapter 16 one more time. The book of Romans has captured our attention for about the last three years now. And so here today we come to the conclusion of the book of Romans, chapter number 16. We'll cover verses 21 to verse 27 today. Uh, in this section I see a list of names and there's a statement that Paul has already made. He's going to make that again in this passage. And then there's a closing doxology. Doxology means a praise given unto God. We'll see all three of those, and I'll explain these as we go. I do want to make a clarification on the title. The title I've given for the sermon today is A Band of Brothers and the Glory of God. And I, I so want to say A Band of Brothers for the Glory of God, but I can't do that because that's not what the text says. Uh, so what I'm seeing today is A Band of Brothers and the Glory of God, almost as if we could make this into two separate sermons uh, however, I've chosen to combine them, and I hope as we go along that you'll get to see why that is. They definitely are a band of brothers for the glory of God. But I think that as you see in the passage and throughout the sermon this morning, that this entire epistle has been for the glory of God. And so if we just say that this is a band of brothers for the glory of God, I believe we cheapen the glory of God, uh, for the glory of God is much bigger than just a group of guys. And so here we'll walk through that today. I do want to just go ahead and jump right into uh, Romans chapter, chapter 16 and verses 21 to 23. There's a band of brothers that I see here. 
And uh, there's nine of them, eight of them are listed, so let's have a look and hopefully as we read down through, maybe you can figure out who the ninth guy is. Uh, Romans chapter 16, verse 21, down to verse 23. Timotheus, my work fellow, and Lucius, and Jason, and Sosipater, my kinsmen, salute you. I, Tertius, who wrote this epistle, salute you in the Lord. Gaius, mine host and of the whole church, saluteth you. Erastus, the chamberlain of the city, saluteth you. And Quartus, a brother. So eight people are listed there. Uh, and again, I said nine brothers are sending greetings. You'll notice a couple of weeks ago that we had a list of 26 names. And that list of 26 is significantly different than this list of eight in that the 26 are in Rome and he's sending greetings to them. Now we have eight people who are there, uh, eight names together, nine people that are the ones who are sending the greetings. And so that's two different groups, 26 receiving plus the church and here nine sending their greetings. So I'll just take a moment and we'll walk down through who these guys are. So first one is Timotheus, that's Timothy. He's in verse 21. Uh, Timotheus, my work fellow. So Timothy was Paul's son in the faith. And many of you would be familiar with Timothy. He, Paul ends up writing 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy 2, the son in the faith. He picked him up a little over 10 years before he writes this. He picked him up on his second missionary journey on the way through Lystra and Derby in Galatia. Picked up Timothy. Timothy has been, uh, we might say, right-hand man or kind of a son in the faith. Has been following Paul. And let's say 10, 12 years he's been following Paul. By now, anybody that has done uh, ministry for 10 years beside the Apostle Paul has really come into his own in ministry. And the day will come shortly that Paul will leave uh, Timothy to pastor the church at Ephesus. And most likely, Timothy will pastor the church at Ephesus for a long time. Then the next name that we see is Lucius. Most likely, this is Luke. Uh, another way to say his name. I don't have any reason to believe that this is, that this is a different fellow. Uh, Luke is the one who wrote the Gospel of Luke and the Acts of the Apostles. He is a historian, followed Paul. He travels with Paul all throughout the book of Acts. And uh, Luke is also a uh, physician, a doctor by trade, but he has now given up that, that possession or profession in order to spend time with the Apostle Paul. Something like 27% of the New Testament is written by Luke. By and large, the largest percentage by words and content is written by Luke, with Paul taking second place after Luke. Then we see two brothers from Macedonia. They're listed here in verse 21. Uh, Jason and Sosipater, my kinsmen. So Jason, we get to know Jason in Acts chapter 17. He, Jason is from Thessalonica, that's northern Macedonia. And Jason is the one who paid a bond so that Paul would be able to escape the hand of the government of the day, but that bond essentially said that Paul would never return to Thessalonica. Interesting point being in Acts chapter 17, Paul started that church in Thessalonica in a space of only about three weeks. And God grew that church to the point where it received two epistles that have been held in the New Testament for you and I until today. And Jason was a big part of starting that church, financially giving himself... And then later, as Paul sends letter to the church at Thessalonica, that he's going to be taking up a love offering for the people in, of Jerusalem, the church at Thessalonica, the churches of Macedonia, gave financially, and now here Jason actually goes with Paul. 
And this is obvious love from Jason giving more than once, perhaps giving twice, and then physically taking of his own time to go to Jerusalem. Jason. And then we have Sosipater. This is the second time that we see Sosipater's name in the Scriptures. The first one when it's in Acts chapter 20, which is the same time frame, by the way. So Acts chapter 20, Paul is in Corinth. And if you remember a few weeks ago, we talked about he was going to go out of the port at Sincrea, but the Jews were waiting for him at the port. And so that name, Sosipater, is written there in Acts chapter 20, I believe verse 4. He's from Berea. That's one of those cities in the Macedonian region. So Jason and Sosipater are both from Macedonia, and they're both known to Paul. Most likely, they will travel with Paul all the way to Jerusalem. Next name that we see in the list is Tertius, and he is a scribe. Look at verse 22 closely and see the words that are used. I, Tertius, who wrote this epistle, salute you in the Lord. I don't want you to leave from here this morning and make some kind of a cult following that says, hey, we've been saying that Paul wrote it and that's a mistake. It's actually Tertius. No, that's not what's going on here. Tertius is just the scribe who actually put pen to paper as Paul gave the words. And we know that from Romans chapter 1 and verse 1, where Paul says, I, Paul, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, write this to you. And so the words are coming from the Holy Spirit through Paul as he speaks this, and then this man Tertius pins the words on paper. I can't help but wonder if in the moment Paul says, hey, we're coming to the end of the book, and he says, hey, make sure that you write Timothy and Luke send their greetings to the church at Rome. And oh, by the way, Jason and Sosipater, they also send their greetings. And I wonder if Tertius looked to the Apostle Paul. We don't know. Maybe he looked to the Apostle Paul and said, can I say hello as well? I don't know. Maybe that's what's going on. He slips that in there. I, who wrote this epistle. So Tertius is the scribe. We don't know if Tertius ends up going to Jerusalem. We have no record of that. Verse 23, then we get three brothers from Corinth. This is the town where Paul is at when he's writing. And we actually know that from chapter 16 and verse 1 where he says, I I would encourage you to get to know Phoebe who is from Sincrea. And she's been a good host to us, and she's taken care of us, a succorer of us and of many. And now in verse 23, he mentions whose house he's staying in. It says, Gaius, mine host and of the whole church. This is Gaius of Corinth, and this is a different Gaius from the Gaius that we saw several weeks ago. Uh, there was a Gaius of Macedonia, northern Greece. This is Gaius of Corinth, who's southern Greece. Uh, Gaius of Macedonia, it was Gaius and Aristarchus who together were in the uh, theater at Ephesus, if you remember that. Paul almost lost his life in that setting. Gaius and Aristarchus almost lost their life in that setting. This is a different Gaius. Gaius of Corinth, southern Greece. And he gives his house to be the host for the church. Very interesting there. In Acts chapter 18... The church in Corinth was started by the Apostle Paul. Paul went into the synagogue. Oh, I just love this story. Paul went into the synagogue, and he did that at a lot of different places. He meets Jews that way. He goes into the synagogue, and he meets some people, tells them about Jesus. They end up trusting in Christ. The people of the synagogue get ticked off and kick these new believers out of their church because they're not following the doctrine of the Judaizers. 
And so they move out, the small group of believers move out of the synagogue and they move literally next door, so much next door that they share the same wall. It's the words that are used in Acts 18. And so here is the synagogue on one side of the wall and on the other side of the wall is the new church of Corinth. And they meet there, and then they meet, and, and more believers, so much so that the guy who was the leader of the synagogue ends up getting saved, and he comes across as well. Uh, this is an amazing story there. Now, in Acts chapter 20, uh, sorry, Acts chapter 18, it says that the guy who owned that house, his name was Justice. It is possible that Justice and Gaius are the same guy if we end up taking their surname into account. It's possible. We don't know. We don't know if it's Justice Gaius or Gaius Justice, if that's the surname issue there, or is it possible that as time went on over the next several years that then they moved the church to a different house? We don't know. But the, it says here that Gaius has been his host, has been Paul's host, and has been host to the church. So the church is now meeting in Gaius's house. He continues the, story, uh, continues the greetings on Erastus. The chamberlain of the city salutes you. So this is Erastus. The word chamberlain means a financial caretaker or a treasurer. So he is in a high position within government. You might just imagine if we had the treasurer for NCD was a faithful brother in the church. When we sent greetings and he wanted to send his greetings, we'd add his name to the list. Uh, I don't think that this treasurer was receiving names, be, uh, receiving popularity because he was doing anything shady. I don't think he was writing off people's tax bills or helping out in the church. He was a faithful brother in the church, and he took care of needs. I love the fact that God saves people from all kinds of different backgrounds. And then we have the last one in this list, Quartus, a very common name in the Roman days. Quartus literally means the fourth. You would also have other names like Secundus and Quintus. Secundus would be the second, and Quintus would be the fifth, and literally it would be, here's Secundus, he was the second born, and Quartus was the fourth born, and Quintus was the fifth born. That's a very common way of naming their children in that day. So here's Quartus, and we don't really know much about it, and I do have, have to point out, though, that Quartus is a Roman name. So I wonder if Quartus, a brother, I wonder if that was, he's a guy that the church at Rome would have known. It's a Roman name. I wonder if the guys at Rome would have known him. And here he is hanging out at Corinth. This is just a single ship ride away. I wonder if perhaps they knew him and that's why he sends his greetings. He's a brother. I called this a band of brothers because of the word in verse 21. Timotheus, my work fellow, and Lucius, and Jason, and Sosipater, my kinsman. Literal meaning, they're my cousin brothers. And yet, metaphorically speaking, it's probably impossible that, if we were to say literal, it's probably impossible that all four of those guys are Paul's literal cousin brothers, because they're from such varied backgrounds. And yet, you have here a band of brothers that come together, some from Macedonia, and some from Rome, and some from Corinth, and some from Galatia. And some from Jerusalem. And these brothers come together. They're a band of brothers and they love the glory of God. And together they are in Corinth. And together they send their greetings to Rome. I mentioned that there are nine guys here. And I hope that maybe you've been thinking, who is the ninth guy? His name's not in the list, but he's one of the brothers. And his name is Paul. 
He hasn't named himself here. He named himself at the beginning of the book. And now here at the end of the book, he says, hey, we're together and we send our greetings. And there are nine of us. You might think of Paul as some kind of spiritual giant, but I don't think that these guys looked at him that way. I think they looked at him as another brother in Christ. They got close to him. They saw when he got upset about things, when he sinned, when he let his flesh show to those that were the closest to him, they knew him. Brothers and sisters, there is no such thing as a super spiritual Christian. When you get to get closer to brothers and sisters in Christ, you get to realize that every single one of us has warts. Every single one of us is sinful, and every single one of us needs the transformation of the gospel. We will not be glorified until the day we get to be with Jesus. And on that day, oh glorious will be that day when we set aside these terrible robes of flesh and take on that glorified body. And we will forever be with the Lord. And I look forward to that day. It's evident to me that these men did not realize who Paul was as you and I see Paul. I say it's evident because by the time he writes the book of 2 Timothy, he says things like, all of them have forsaken me. Timothy, hurry up and come see me. Luke's the only one here. I think it's evident. Demas probably would not have walked away if he'd have realized that he was hanging out with the guy that wrote some 13 books in the New Testament. Brothers and sisters, may I exhort us, find a a band of brothers. Spend time with a band of brothers that will draw you closer to the glory of God. I made a statement at the beginning in an introduction that Paul made a statement here in verse 24 that he repeated in verse 20. Let's see verse 24. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. He made that statement back in verse 20. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. He said it in verse 20 and he says it again in verse 24. And I can't help but wonder if maybe this is just a common phrase for Paul. I say it to my children when I say goodbye to them. I say, the Lord bless you and keep you. And the Lord make his face to shine upon you. This is the blessing that I pass upon my children when I say goodbye to them. And I wonder if perhaps this was Paul's way of saying goodbye to brothers and sisters in Christ. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. In fact, when I look through all of his epistles, seven of his epistles close with those words. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And I wonder, as I think about how that works in our lives, may the grace of our Lord Jesus, last week I touched on it, in fact, last week I got a bit emotional as I thought about the way that God's grace comes to us when we need it. You see, for the effects of sin are in this world. Sickness and pain and all of the problems that come because sinful people live in this sinful world. We are not out of it. And until the day the Lord takes you to be with Him, you will put up with the effects of sin. And I look forward to the day, the words that He said last week, the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. I look forward to that day. I hope you look forward to that day. John picked up on this phrase as well. I wonder if the churches began to pick up on this phrase. See, Paul closes seven of those epistles with, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And I wonder if they just started picking up on that. Have you ever heard somebody say something and then you just start saying the same phrase? You ever do that? John is the last writer to write in the New Testament. It's about 40 years 
from the time Paul writes this book until John writes the book of Revelation. You might remember the Apostle John, he wrote five books in the New Testament. The Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and then he wrote the book of Revelation. It's well known that the book of Revelation was the last book to be written, and I can't help but wonder if perhaps by the time John writes that book of Revelation, when he gets to the end of the book, I can't help but wonder if this is just a common phrase among brethren. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So if you would, just take a moment. Put a finger here. We're going to come right back. Put your finger here in Romans 16 and just have a glimpse over to the end of the Bible. Look at Revelation chapter 22. The Apostle John writes this book of Revelation. I can't help but wonder how heartbroken he is as he looks to see all of the things that are yet to come. Church history tells us that he's well into his 90s by the time he writes this. He has endured a martyrdom, one of the few to live through a martyrdom. They tried to kill him and he survived. He has watched his own sons in the faith be martyred as well under the emperor's hand. And he writes and says, there's much worse things to come. And I want you to see as he closes out Revelation chapter 22, look at verse 20. He which testifieth these things saith, this is Jesus, says, surely I come quickly. Amen, John says. Even so come, Lord Jesus. This world is full of sin. Even so come, Lord Jesus. I hope your hope is not found in success in business. I hope your hope is not found in relationships with family. I hope your hope is found in the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. For He will make all things new. And we will spend forever with our Lord. And it will be wonderful. So even so, come Lord Jesus. And until that day, look at the words that He closes. John closes with, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. That's the only time anybody else says it. Paul says it eight times. And John grabs it one more time and he says, May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Just this week, I think of tragedies that have happened just this week. This past week, a friend of mine lost his son to a drunk driver. I just saw Jaden a couple of weeks ago. I was in Pensacola, Florida, spoke at the Bible conference there. And Jaden, his parents are good friends of mine. Several years ago, I got to meet Jaden. He was about... 14 years old. He had on a white shirt. He was tall, skinny kid with a white shirt and a skinny necktie that he was wearing. And I told him to do some stuff that I knew would get him in trouble. And he went and did them. And sure enough, he got in trouble. I had to step in to get him out of trouble. I was joking around with a young man and he followed through when it kind of endeared my heart to him that he would follow through with what I told him to do. Love that young man. He's out cutting grass at Pensacola Christian College this last week, and a drunk driver drifted off of the road and hit him. Within hours, his mom and dad, missionaries in Honduras, within hours, his mom and dad did not get the privilege to mourn with their church that they have served with for years. Had to jump on a plane to go and take care of the funeral arrangements for their son. 
with sure people that love them, but people that they don't love as much as the people who they spend their days and years with. And I think the effects of sin are in this world. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. I wonder as I hear a phrase like, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you, I think to myself, what's at the root of this? What's it mean, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ? What does that even mean? And I'm so thankful that Scripture never leaves us without answers. He defines it. Here's 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse number 9. I've got it on the screen for you. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9. He says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the grace that's going to be with you. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, and just think about how rich He was, right hand of the Father, the throne room of heaven, majesty on high to be unparalleled, And there He was, though He was rich, yet for your sakes, that's grace. He became poor, that through His poverty, you might be made rich. And please don't cheapen the word rich to think that it has to do with bank accounts. Oh, He was rich. How do you count the riches of God Almighty? And He counted that as nothing, as He slipped away from the riches of heaven and became poor for our sakes, taking up the body of a human baby, helpless, unable to change his own nappy, laying in a manger in Bethlehem, obscurity, the one who had the right to all glory, For Him to put aside all glory and take up obscurity in the manger in Bethlehem. And then, as if just a nobody, as Herod would chase Him into further obscurity to hide in Egypt. A refuge. Off into Egypt to hide there for a couple of years to be brought back as a human to learn from Joseph, his stepfather, a trade. And in learning, I can't imagine, but he took on splinters, smashed his thumb with his hammer. He learned. And in all points, tempted like you and I, yet without sin. So that he could go to the cross And take our sin upon the cross so that you and I might be made rich. Oh, that's not for money, friend. That's for redemption of our soul. The greatest need that you ever had so that you might be made right with God. Oh, that's the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. So may that grace be with you. As you go through the trials of being in a sinful world, as you go through all of those tribulations, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Think and remember you are not going through this alone. He's with you. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Soak up the grace of our Lord Jesus. And the third portion that I see here is for the glory of God. So look at verse 25 to 27. He's going to close the passage and we'll spend the remainder of our time together in this passage. He's going to close it with the glory of God. 
This is what's known as a doxology. If you're not familiar with that word, a doxology is praise be to God. So he's going to give praise to God, and I want you to see why he gives praise to God. Verses 25 to 27. Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began, but now is made manifest in by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the everlasting God made known to all nations for the obedience of faith, to God only wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. We could spend weeks in that three verses. So let me show you big picture, sentence structure, big picture. Here you go. I'm going to break it down. Big picture. Verse 25. Now to him that is of power to establish you. Slide down to verse 27 and he completes that thought. To God only wise. So he said in verse 25, to him that has power and he explains the power. In verse 27, he tells us who the him is. To him, to God. What kind of God? God who is only wise. To him, verse 25. To him, verse 27. What are we going to do to him? We're going to give him glory. That's verse 27. To him be glory. And how does that happen? Through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. Amen. To God only wise be glory. So I say the glory of God is for that reason. Why do you exist? To bring glory to God. Why do the angels exist? To bring glory to God. What do the seraphim and cherubim do endlessly? They give glory to God. What was creation about? It was the glory of God. Why did Christ go to the cross? For the glory of God. Why is there salvation for sinful men? For the glory of God. You say, but pastor, Christ went to the cross to take my sin. Yes, and that was for the glory of God. It was not for you. If you think that Christ went to the cross to take your sin, and that was because of you, you lessen God to be your servant. And He's not your servant. He sent Jesus to the cross to take your sin so that He would bring glory to God. We exist for the glory of God. Oh, this is all for the glory of God. And I hope that you will notice today how glorious He is. So I see three things in this couple of verses. I see three things that tell us about glorifying Him. So let me show the first one to you. Verse 25. Now to Him that is of power to establish you. So glorify Him for His power. And I'm just going to rephrase it. For His power to settle your footing. Because if you're like me, a normal human being that's been saved by God's grace, there are times when you might doubt. We might say, shifty sand under our feet. And I need something to settle my footing on. So to Him, verse 25, to Him that is able to establish, the word establish literally is to establish or settle your footing So to him that is able to settle your footing, he gets glory. Let him have the glory. See, friend, your doubts will be dissolved as you focus on his strength. Your doubts will be settled, 
or they'll be dissolved as you focus on His strength. If you're focusing on your own strength and your thinking, my strength is what it is that will help me and settle me. Oh, you will end up with shaky footing because your strength is, is lacking. And he's going to give us three accordings. I won't put these on the board, but you'll get to see them. Three accordings. Not three accordions, but three accordings. Look at verse 25. How does he do it? According to. To him that is of power to establish you. One, according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. So hear me well. If you have doubts, you will find firm footing in the gospel and in the continual preaching of the gospel. It's the words that he used there. You're going to be established. You're going to find firm footing according to the gospel, and you're going to find it according to the preaching. The preaching of the gospel. And so if you're finding yourself on shifty ground and you've got doubts, you need to spend more time looking at the gospel. Seeing the gospel helping you in your salvation, helping you in your sanctification. The gospel is what will be there to help you. And it will establish you. And perhaps you need to spend more time listening to gospel preaching. Let me give you a caution. If all you ever do is show up on Sunday morning and hope that in the 52 minutes that I preach to you, that that will strengthen you for the rest of the week, there's a really good chance that the rest of the week's worldliness and all of its input will definitely shake your footing. So if you need some help... Come and see me. I'll make some recommendations for some really good gospel preaching. There's lots of podcasts out there that can be of help to you. It doesn't become a substitute for the preaching of the Word in the gathering of the church, but it definitely can supplement you through the week. According to verse 25, second, according to the first one, to Him be glory that is of glory that is of power to establish you. One, according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. Two, according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began and now is made manifest and by the scriptures of the prophets. So according to, and I'm gonna, I'll say it this way, according to an understanding of the scriptures, you'll find firm footing by a proper understanding of the Scriptures. So what did that look like? And he gives the example of, it's a revelation of the mystery. That mystery literally was that the Gentiles would come to Christ. They never saw that coming. They never saw that coming. Paul calls it a mystery. He says, so I'm going to show you here, the Gentiles get to come to know Jesus. They're going to be made right with God through Jesus. And he, and he says, and oh, by the way, it was a mystery, but it was foretold by the prophets all through the scriptures and we were in Romans 15 and we saw that over and over there were one prophecy after another that said those very words and so if you put your rooting in the word of God your footing will be sure if you put your footing on what you feel you'll be shaky again to him that is able to establish your standing help you to stand well that's God. He is the one who receives the glory. You'll get that through the preaching of the gospel. You'll get through that, that through spending time in the Word. And pastorally, let me exhort you, be in the Word. I know you enjoy hearing the preaching of the Word, but again, the preaching of the Word once a week is insufficient. You need to be spending time in the Word daily. And I hope, I hope that the way 
that I present the Word on Sunday helps you with reading on Monday to Saturday. What I mean by that is we are, even today, literally walking word by word and phrase by phrase as we come through the passage so that you can find the sufficiency of Scripture for yourself. So that when you sit down to read, you don't say, well, I have to make it through chapter 1 to chapter 3 so that I can tick off this box. If you've got to slow your dinghy down, drop anchor, and dive down and spend the next 20 minutes on two verses, so be it. Let the Word be the one that dwells with you richly. Oh, friend, I hope that you spend time in the Word. Now to Him that is able to establish you. And He does it, one, according to the Gospel and preaching. And two, He does it according to a fully understanding of the Scriptures. And then third, He does it with the commandment of God. You see that one in verse 26. Now is made manifest and by Scriptures of the prophets. According to, here's the third one, according to the commandment of the everlasting God made known to all nations for the obedience of faith. So what is the commandment of the everlasting God? Put your trust in Jesus. That's the commandment. And that commandment goes to all nations. So His commandment is, put your trust in the Lord Jesus, and you don't have to be just a Jewish person to do that. All the peoples of the world can do that. All the nations of the world can do that. And so you're going to find your footing with God by putting your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when I think of establishing my footing, I have an image in my head. Back in 2004, Becky and I were walking down the beach in Karama. If you've ever been to Karama, you know black sand and it gets everywhere. Black sand beach. And we were walking down the beach with the girls. I think Hannah was maybe two years old at that time. We're walking down the beach and Hannah was just a few steps ahead of us. Ariel all her life liked to walk with me and Becky. She never liked to get away. Hannah, metaphorically, look at her run. (laughs) She's two years old. She was a fat baby. Hannah was a fat baby. And there she was at two years old, up ahead of us, and she would run. You know what I mean, like fat baby. It was just the cutest thing. And her hair was real thin and kind of pulled up and a bow on the top. And I don't remember, she had like a little swimsuit or a little skirt on or something, and she's running ahead of us. And whenever she saw the water puddles on the beach, she would splash through them and she would laugh. She's loving it, having a great time. Becky and I just a couple of steps behind her. And then she hit one puddle that was much deeper than any of us expected. I don't know why those show up on the beach, but here was one and she hit it. She went into that puddle thinking she's going to splash through like she's done 10 times already. But instead, that thing was much deeper than she was tall. And she went splash, splash with every ounce of confidence in and right to the bottom of it. And as she went down into the water, her hands threw up and she gasped and looked up. And I watched as she went all the way under the water. I was one step behind her. I reached down, and Becky could tell you better than I can. Either I grabbed her by the shirt or grabbed her by the hair. I don't remember. And pulled that child right back up out of the water. She was in and she was out in no time, but immediately her hands grasped up to mine. If it was her shirt, it was because she knew that she could trust me. If it was her hair, it probably hurt really bad. (laughs) And I pulled her out of the 
whole of water. Now, just follow me with this. To him who is able to establish you, put your feet on firm ground. Because you and I, brothers and sisters, run through this life and you think that you've got it figured out. But the moment comes when you get in way over your head. And you are all of the sudden shifty ground and I've got nowhere to put my feet. I need somebody to help to him that is able to establish you. Throw your hand up to the one who with his gospel and the preaching of the cross and with his scriptures and with his commandment is able to set your feet on firm ground. He deserves the glory. And by the way, that's what he just said with verses 25 to 27. To him who is able to establish you Jump to verse 27. To God only wise, be glory forever. So he receives the glory. So we glorify him for his power to settle your footing. And then secondly, we glorify him for his wisdom. You see that in verse 27. To God only wise, be glory. We glorify Him for His wisdom. And I don't know if you take time to think about His wisdom. I just think of His creative wisdom. If I just take His creative wisdom alone, and oh, the depths, the unsearchable depths of the wisdom of God. If I were to just take the coral reefs that you and I have along our shores here in Papua New Guinea, the coral reefs that are filled, teeming with all kinds of life, that finds life from itself, they seeking life amongst themselves. And I think of something like Becky loves the sea turtles. And I think of the sea turtle that makes its way up onto the shore and lays eggs, something like a hundred eggs inside of one hole, and then disappears and leaves those eggs there for 60 days. And 60 days later, those little turtles make their way out of the sand hole, up through the ground and come up to the top and all of them hit the beach at the same time and all hundred of those little turtles swim off to you ready scientists have no idea where they go they call it the lost years they don't know where those little turtles go from the time they're this size until they're the time they're this size they disappear for about 20 years that's mind-boggling You know who made them to do that? God did. Because those little ones that are that size are called fish food. And there are tuna who would love to have themselves a feast. And there are seagulls that would love to have themselves a feast of sea turtle babies. And those little dudes make it off and they go to who knows where, somewhere way out in the big ocean, and they grow up out there. And then they show back up at the coral reef when they're fully matured and they're able to mate for the rest of their life and they go on for the next 80 years. And not a single fish bothers that grown sea turtle. Absolutely amazing, the wisdom of God. And in His creative power, He made things that would be on the land that would be converted into energy. I don't know if you thought about that. You realize that trees grow and then when they get old and they die, you can cut them down and you can turn them into energy. Like burn it and it becomes heat and light. That's God did that. If, it did, if He didn't do it that way, you know what would happen? We'd have stacks and stacks of dead trees everywhere. But instead, He made it to where you burn it and it be, turns into energy. Oh, and He did the same thing with coal. And He did the same thing with oil. And natural gas, 
You put fire to it. If I was the one creating, I wouldn't even know how to make the fire, much less how to make the fuel for it. And in his creative wisdom, he made that. And then he made your human body. And your human body that needs fuel. And yet you take in fuel for your body and your body converts it to energy without ever lighting it on fire once. Could you imagine if your body had to light the food on fire? That could be devastating for your body. God in his infinite wisdom put these things together. To him be glory forever for his wisdom. And I'm talking about his creative power alone. And we're not talking about all of the other infinite ways that he is so wise. For him to have thought through that you would need to be justified. But in order for you to be justified, he still had to be just. And for him to put together that his son would be the only one that could ever do that. Oh, he is infinitely wise to God. Only wise be glory. And then we see a third phrase here. We glorify him through Jesus Christ forever. Verse 27, to God only wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Notice that God is not receiving this glory outside of Jesus Christ. Let me show you what I mean. You know the verse, John 3 and verse 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You see, God's the one that loved us, and He sent His Son so that you and I put our trust in the Lord Jesus. And we get to receive everlasting life. But you see, God gets glory in that, and He does not get it apart from that. So verse 18, two verses later, says this, He that believeth on Him is not condemned. I hope you've believed on Jesus, and you'll not be condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So God set it up so that God would receive glory, and He receives it through Jesus Christ. I hope you hear the words of our purpose statement as CCBC in those words. We exist to bring glory to God by knowing Christ and making Him known. You see, the glory goes to God, and it goes to God through Jesus. For it's in Jesus that we find all the promises of God fulfilled. And in Jesus, all of the promises of God are yes, and they are amen. God gets the glory through Jesus. Something that I've not had the opportunity to do as we've walked through the book of Romans, I've not had the opportunity to show you the glory of God. But now we reach the end of the book of Romans, and I'd like for us to take just a few minutes and walk through the book together, and I want to point at the glory of God. We have highlighted, all through this book, we have highlighted a common thread of the gospel and how the gospel transforms your life. But I would like to take just a couple of minutes and pull through this book, another common thread, and that common thread is the glory of God. So turn back to Romans chapter 1 with me. I promise you we won't read the whole book. Romans chapter 1 in verse number 16 says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation. The power of God is being on display that gives glory to God. The words... 
the glory of God show up in verse 22. Look at Romans chapter 1 and verse 22. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. If ever there was a thing that would anger God is when man takes the glory of the uncorruptible God. That's the words that are used. When man takes the glory of an uncorruptible God and attributes them to four-footed beasts and birds and things that are upon the earth, as man was in old days taking a carving of wood and making the image of a four-footed beast or with gold as they did in the book of Exodus and reshaping the gold into the four-footed beast of a calf and falling before it and giving worship to a calf or giving worship to an idol instead of giving it to God. You see, God deserves it. He is infinitely holy. He's uncorruptible in His glory. He will not share with another. And you and I might look back with uh, with humor and say, how can they do that? But you and I, every morning, will stand in front of a mirror, and instead of giving glory to a four-footed beast or giving glory to an uncorruptible God, you and I will stand before a mirror and give glory to ourselves. He will not share His glory with another. Is there any wonder in Romans chapter 1? The wrath of God, verse 18. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. You see, the glory of God is at the core of a need for us to have the gospel. He will not share His glory. Look at chapter 3 and verse 23. You would know this verse. For all, and within the context of Romans chapter 3, all means every single person on the earth, doesn't matter what background they came from. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Do you realize that because of the sin that you have in your life, you are short of the glory of God? That which He will not share with another, He demands. And He rightly deserves. He rightly deserves that glory, and you and I fall short of it. And yet, by His grace, He gave us the Lord Jesus so that we could be right with Him. See it in verse 24 being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. May God receive the glory through the Lord Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood. Do you realize that God's wrath abode upon us for we changed His uncorruptible glory into glory that we gave to others and to ourselves. And then God, demanding the glory, gave us Jesus. And He allowed us to be made right with Him by putting our trust in Jesus. And that very thing, His wrath, was turned away by Jesus taking His wrath. Oh, what an infinitely wise God we have. Come now to chapter 5 and verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So even though in verses 3-5 to He tells us trials and tribulations will come in this earth, we can hope 
in the glory of God. We have peace with God because of the Lord Jesus. Oh, glory be to God through Jesus. We have peace with Him now. And we can hope of the glory of God. Hope is that which we have not seen yet. We will see it one day. The glory of God. Now look at chapter 8 and verse 18. These are the words that I shared with my brother Matt, whose son Jaden went to be with the Lord this week. Verse 18, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. You will go through problems in this life, but those problems in this life are nothing to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. Do you realize that the day will come when you will be glorified? No more sanctification. You'll be glorified. And what will that be like? You say, Pastor, what will that even look like? I don't know. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2 says it this way, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. It doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him. But we shall see Him as He is. We will have a glorified body. Glorified. Do you hear the word? Glorified. Like He is. Can I say this while being very careful to not say, I will be like the Most High. I will not go there. But can I say this? He will not share His glory with another for another to worship someone like they should worship Him. And yet He will share His glory with His sons. We will be glorified. I don't know what that looks like. But it's like nothing to be compared with the sufferings of this present time. Come now to chapter 9 in verse 23. Another doxology in chapter 9 and verse 23. Sorry, the doxology comes later. This one, 923. Oh, I love this passage. That he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he had afore prepared unto glory, even us whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. As he also has said in Hosea, I will call them my people which were not my people, and her beloved which was not beloved. I hope that that rings a bell and you remember back to the sermon of Hosea. I will call, not just Jews, but also Gentiles, those who were not my people. I will call them my people. And what will I do with them? See it in verse 23. God, He might make known the riches of His glory on the vessels of mercy that He has a fore prepared unto glory. The vessels of mercy. Do you, hear a, do, you, or do you see a picture here? There's an image. A vessel. A cup. A vessel, a vessel of mercy. He formed that. He formed that vessel of mercy. I did not deserve His vessel. I did not deserve to be a vessel of His mercy. He formed me. And then what did He do with me? Pours His riches of His glory. Do you see it? Verse 23. That He might make known the riches of His glory on the vessels of mercy. And I don't deserve that. The day will come when we will be glorified. I don't know what that will look like, but I look forward to that day. Now come with me to chapter 11. This is the doxology, verse 33. 
Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, and who has been His counselor? Or who hath first given to Him that it should be recompensed unto Him again? For of Him and through Him and to Him are all things to whom be glory forever. He deserves it, friend. He deserves the glory, so let us give it to Him forever and ever. And so, can I take one moment before we come back to chapter 16? Look at chapter 15 and verse 7. Here's a practical exhortation. Chapter 15 and verse 7. What do you do with this glory of God? Wherefore, verse 7, Wherefore receive you one another as Christ also received us to the glory of God. It was God's glory that He received us. To God be the glory through Jesus Christ. So then, practically speaking, you have no reason to not receive another. That's just practical. And then chapter 16 and verse 27. To God only, wise, be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. So I'll say it like this. This book has been all about God's glory. Unfortunately, it took us until the end of the book to be able to see that. But this book has been all about God's glory. His glory is on display in the gospel, in the way that it saves you, in the way that it sanctifies you, in the way that it changes you and transforms you to be more like His Son, Jesus. I'm going to close with this thought. I wonder what it was like as those nine men sat around in Gaius' house. I wonder what it was like as eight guys listened in. I should say seven guys listened in as Paul spoke and Tertius wrote, a godly band of brothers. I wonder what that was like. I wonder if Tertius at moments didn't write fast enough. I wonder if Paul just kind of spilled it. <laughs> Holy Spirit's given this to me. You've got to get this down on paper, Tertius. I wonder if there were times that perhaps Paul said things like, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And poor Tertius is writing as fast as his hand could go. His hand's probably cramping by now. He's in chapter 6. And I wonder if as he wrote, he said something like, Paul, you said the wages of sin is death, but the what? And I can just overhear Luke and Timothy shout, The gift of God is eternal life. I don't think these guys are in their corners playing on social media and watching video games. I think these guys are soaking up the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ in a circle there. I wonder if Gaius and Jason were taking notes for themselves, just like you have been taking notes all through the book of Romans as we've walked through it. I wonder if they took their own little versions, uninspired little versions of notes that they took with them. I wonder what your band of brothers gets excited about. I hope you have a band of brothers or circle of sisters. I wonder what your band of brothers gets excited about. Because, friend, if they get excited about drinking, I know I'm long. You bear with me. I have sat through so many situations with people where the story starts off as we thought that we would have some fun and we went and got drunk. Almost every 
bad story that I listen to starts with that phrase. Guys, I don't know if that's just our culture. I don't know if that's a wider global issue. But how many times do I hear stories that start with, we celebrated a birthday, so we went and went drinking. And it ends with, and then we started fighting, and somebody got stabbed, or somebody got belted up, or somebody's paralyzed, or somebody's dead, or there's a tribal fight now. wonder what your band of brothers gets excited about. You say, Pastor, I don't have a band of brothers. Find one. Find a godly band of brothers. Look around. You say, I haven't got a godly band of brothers. This room is filled with guys that need a band of brothers. This room is filled with ladies that need sisters that will walk beside them. You say, nobody's ever come to me and asked me to be in their band of brothers. Can I ask you, he that hath friends must show himself friendly. Who have you reached out to to be friendly to? So if you don't have a band of brothers, I want you to do like this today. We're about to split up and go to life groups. And after that, some of you are going to stamp Bibles and some of you are going to go stand outside and drink Coca-Cola. During that period, if you don't have a band of brothers or a circle of sisters, go find them. Doesn't mean you got to go grab five and say, okay, the five of us from now on, on Thursday evenings, we're going to do X, Y, and Z. No, you don't have to do that. But you can say, hey, could I get your WhatsApp? Because at some point this week, I'd love to have coffee with you. And do you mind if we get some other people together? And you don't have to get together and have a Bible study that wouldn't hurt you. But you could just do something together that would be for the glory of God. Becky and I, on a regular basis, look for ways to have some of you in our homes. I love that. And I don't sit you down and open the Bible and say, let me preach to you now that you're in here in my living room. I get to know you. And we'll talk through the week. Encourage one another. And some of you send me WhatsApp messages through the week. You know what I know when I see a WhatsApp message from my brother in Christ? I know he cares about me and he's thinking about me. I've got a band of brothers. I've got one brother in my band. Phil Perry lives in Australia. And the dude won't stop sending me messages. And I'm so thankful for it. Sent me one this morning. I miss you, brother. Yeah. That's what bands of brothers are for. And if you'll invite me and Becky over to your house, we'll come. And I promise I won't bring a sermon. What does your band of brothers get excited about? Be excited about the glory of God. Father, I pray that we would be faithful to love one another. Find so much greater things to get excited about than things of the flesh and things of the world. Oh, Lord, we love you and we are thankful for what you've given to us in our lives, for those brothers in Christ that would speak into our lives and exhort us to the glory of God. I pray, Lord, that we would be faithful. Encourage one another. Lift one another up. I pray that your name would be glorified through our lives. Thank you for this church. I love the church you've given us. Thank you for our church, and thank you for the book of Romans that we've gotten to spend the last couple of years together in. I pray we would not part from it and say goodbye forever, but instead we would step away from it to another part of your scriptures 
and hold on to this that we've learned. The gospel transforms our life and it does it for the glory of God. I ask these things in your beautiful name. Amen.